0: Ever found yourself surrounded by a group of finance bros in khakis and boat (laughs) shoes and they're talking to you about that their favorite movie is Wolf of Wall Street or The Big Short?
1: Unfortunately this is something that has happened and plagued me my entire life. The BCP is here to support you with this struggle. This is a struggle that many people face in
0: their day-to-day lives with men mansplaining to them about finance
1: and investments. And the worst part about all of this is that they've haven't even studied it they just watched one movie that they thought steve carell was funny in but also like we are so much more than that than people that should just be explained things to we should educate ourselves so that we can understand what a fico score is asset allocation (laughs) capital gains and stock options you want to prepare for the next recession you don't want to end up in debt we're here for you we're here
0: for you we're here for us because we needed to learn a lot as well We're here for us Mm -hmm. and that's why today we have boss woman taylor bertoli on the podcast to talk all things finance investing wealth management and so much more
1: on the podcast the bosses will see you now she's so passionate about it she knows her stuff she makes this so engaging so fun you're going to feel like an expert at the end of the episode.
0: You guys, I actually learned so much, and I was not overwhelmed. Like, no. I like finance, but I don't mm-hmm. say it all that I know anything about it. Uh, not even probably, like, the basics. But she just made it so interesting. And, like, where I actually, like, I want to learn. Like, I would buy one of those like finance for dummies books kind of thing and just like read up on
1: it oh absolutely i need one of those i agree she was so so smart and so able to like explain what was happening and your options so clearly that instead of i find often the finance bros make it sound like it's this like crazy topic that you could have you have to have like four degrees in to even understand the language to get into it and you like will never be smart enough to understand she was like no it's so simple this is what it is you got this, I'll help you. Well, I think,
0: like, even, we spoke to her about it a bit, especially in, like, the small town, like, Kamloops, something that mm-hmm. it's super small, but relatively, like, finance is a very male-dominated industry. Totally. And so it can often be, like, very intimidating um, to even, like, want to, like, take that next step to ask those questions and, like, be interested because I think there is, like, a bit of a stigma of, like, women in totally. finance, which is, like, very unfortunate. But... I think that it's 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 true. I've definitely been <laughs> at a party talking to people about finance and been like, oh, and then they just ask you questions that don't even make sense. And you're like, well, that doesn't
1: even make sense. But they just use all the words and you're like, oh, I know, I know. They do it just to confuse you, I swear. It's, they want to confuse you so you don't realize that they're wrong.
2: So let's welcome her in, Taylor Bertoli, into the podcast. Let's go. Hello, welcome. My name is Taylor Bertoli. I work in finance. I've been interested in finance for quite some time. It's something that I was kind of drawn to. I wanted to do it as a child, but I really didn't know what that entailed. So I just kind of like the sound of it. My dad works in finance. So of course, looking at a role model, you want to do something similar to that. But I, um, I found it actually in university. After taking in your business degree, you take a little bit of marketing, HR, accounting, finance, economics. And I found ac- economics actually, but I knew that I wanted to take it in the direction of finance. So I knew if I were to go down the finance route, I would take my CFP and do all of my designations. But when it comes to um, university, and I just really wanted to make the most out of all of those things, so I'd rather intersect than overlap my education. So I'd rather have something that's related than something that is um, the exact same. So I don't want to pay for the same thing twice. I want to get the most out of my education. So I, um, I took economics as my major, HR as my minor, and now I'm doing my finance designations.
0: Wow. Nice. So you're like Cassandra. So I did I business degree with accounting, and Cassandra did in economics and poli-sci.
2: Yeah. That's wonderful. I always found um, poli-sci to be quite interesting. I had a lot of friends do it. I loved it. And I loved like with the
1: economics, I found it so useful because like you can't understand one without the other. So it always bothered me like when people wouldn't take econ and thought they were like poli sci like geniuses. I was like, you don't even know half of it. But no, I loved it.
0: So having your dad work in finance, was that you were exposed to it, obviously, like while you were in in university, like were you working for your dad or like being involved and that's how Mm -hmm. you knew that you were getting the finance in one aspect and the econ through school or how did you feel like you were getting that
2: balance? Yeah, so um, I actually, I worked for my dad's company over the summers and I just thought that was kind of interesting, dipping a toe. It was one of my two jobs because I primarily focused on surfing because, um, it's yeah. just a fun environment. Yeah, the tips totally. is great for, for during university. Yeah. But I found that um, it, was, it was nice to have that influence. But I think that I found it more. So just being that friend that people always went to for that kind of advice. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is the stuff that everyone hates. So we're going to ask Taylor because Taylor knows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm so fun at parties. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you all of the financial advice you'd like. And oh um, But yeah, I just always found interested in, interest in the things other people found boring. And mm-hmm. um, it kind of brought me here.
0: You said that there's kind of like a stigma behind like finance. And a lot of people find it like very intimidating yeah. and they won't go there. And I mean, like I my dad is very interested in finance and investing. So he always tries to explain it to me. And I took finance in my undergrad. And I almost did like a double major because I thought it was really interesting. But still to this day, people say all the terms of finance. And I'm like... That just seems like a lot to learn that, like, to actually be good at it, you have to invest a lot of time. So, I guess, what would your advice be to people, like, starting off if they want to deal with wealth management or maybe get into investing or maybe
2: just deal with, like, their own debts, like student debts, for example? Yeah. So, for stuff like that, um, I think the biggest thing that you need is curiosity. You just have to want to understand those things a little bit because that will drive you towards that. Area of your life, it is a necessity. Just like we have to file our taxes, we have to deal with our finances at some point in our lives. So it requires some organization. You have to know what kind of um, what kind of accounts you want to invest in and why you're investing in them. But you also want to know where you're putting your money, how much you're going to pay off for your debts, how much you're going to put away for your savings, when you should put money in an RSP or TFSA, how to withdraw those when you want to make big purchases. Um, It can be very complicated. And yeah, there is there's fear around it, I found a lot, just because of the amount of jargon that people use. But what I'd recommend to people is to look into um, even Canadian podcasts, like, it's so there's so many podcasts about financial literacy and getting to know those things. So even before you want to start investing, just to understand the jargon before you step into somebody's office or before you download an app for yourself. um, It's so important to just kind of understand those basics and I think um, it's definitely important to listen to Canadian podcasts because as much as you want, if you're listening for saving tips, they're quite universal, whether they're um, American or Canadian. But when it comes to talking about the specific accounts that are offered in Canada versus the United States, those are different. They have different laws around them and different restrictions. So you want to make sure that you're listening to Canadian podcasts if you're going to go that route. And um, yeah, I think it's just important to want to learn, want to understand those things and um, get to know, start that journey for yourself. So, yeah. So when like you're
1: at a party and people are asking you about all your finance and need their advice, what's like the first question they usually ask? Is it about clarifying jargon or is it more specifics?
2: Um, <laughs> That's so funny. Um, Sometimes it's just like a specific situational question but Mm -hmm. usually I'll say like oh let's let's go grab a coffee because (laughs) you're like put the white (laughs) claw down let's get an espresso okay (laughs) let's take it down a knot it's always the people I find they'll walk up to you and say okay if I had a million dollars to give to you (laughs) what would you do with it And I'm like, well, now I know for sure that you don't have a million (laughs) dollars. So let's, let's, let's move on to that conversation and talk about like a more realistic situation for the person because everything is so customized and you can't just base it off of um, just one fact about their asset level, not their engagement, their financial literacy. There's so many factors in that area. So that's definitely the number one question people ask me is like, if I had X amount of money, (laughs) what would you tell me to do? That's so funny. That's interesting that you said, like,
1: based on your assets or wealth, I think people assume you can't start investing or look at savings until you have a certain amount of money saved or you're making a certain wage. So when should you really start? Is there a certain amount of money you should be making and saved to do it? Or should you kind of get started in doing different things based on how much money you have?
2: Well, it's it's so it's a difficult topic because um, it depends on your debt, your personal situation. But I always say, um, I heard this phrase quite a while ago, but people always say like, when is the best time to plant a tree? And so you're like, well, the best time would be 20 years ago, but the second best time is today. I think the same goes for investing. You, you wanted to start 20 years ago and see all of that growth, but the second best time is today. So regardless of whatever you could put away $100, $200 a month, it will do something now. So um, I think that people should not shy away from those things, even if they feel like they're minuscule, because it's so important and it will put you leaps and bounds ahead of other people.
1: No, that's really good advice. I think even just being fresh out of university and maybe not making like, and having a lot of debts to pay off and not making a ton of money, it seems like, oh, I can't start investing now. Like, I'm not there yet. I still have other things to do. So if you can put aside $100, even like you said, I think is a pretty reasonable amount a month or every biweekly that people could start with.
2: Definitely. Yeah, it's so true. It's it's easier than people think. And if you can't do $100, do a little bit less. If you can do more, mm-hmm. do that. But um, starting now, if you understand like simple compounding interest math, mm-hmm. you'll understand that the, this is the time to start. And it's so important right now.
0: So, okay, I have a question that's probably gonna come across like the drunk person at the party. <laughs> but nose. let's say let's say we're going with what Cassandra said. you have a hundred dollars as a student or a recent graduate to put away a month. So you have this hundred dollars. how and you had someone who was like, this is all I can contribute. How much of that should I save? and how much of that should I look into stocks versus bonds versus physical versus maybe crypto like asset allocation? How would you go about doing that if you were just like, let's say, a tw- in your early 20s student, that's all you can contribute and for saving
2: versus investing and putting away in something else? That is a great question. So it's it, I hate to be this person, but it always comes back to it depends. So what this depends on is what is your timeline? Are you hoping to purchase a house within the next five years? So that timeline that you give me can kind of dictate what you're going to invest in. So um, You also want to know what your risk tolerances are. So, if I, if you have a hundred dollars and you go to to, um, the casino, are you going to spend that on slot machines? Are you going to keep it in your pocket and just buy yourself a drink? What are you going to kind of do with that? So, um, just understanding people's risk tolerances is a big one. So, if you say you have a hundred dollars to your name, and I ask you, are you okay with? Losing thirty percent of that. Are you okay with losing thirty dollars? With hundred dollars, it's kind of hard um, to compare to. But say you had ten thousand dollars to your name or hundred thousand dollars to your name. Are you okay with a thirty percent fluctuation? Because the, obviously, more risk, more reward. So you can realize more of that. So when you think of it in terms of your personal investments, you have to understand. Yeah, what are your risk tolerances? How how are you going to do that? Um, and then how much do you have, obviously, to go to your debt, to those things. But um, And when do you want to withdraw this money? So when it comes to your investments, you just need to um, kind of talk that out, get to know yourself in that light. Because people say, like, oh, okay, like, I'm, I'm very risk adverse. So you put yourself in your GIC. But you need to know things about GICs. So right now, the interest rates for those are half of a percent? And do you want your money locked away for that long for a half percent return? Or are you willing to see some sort of fluctuation and maybe get 10% or more than that? So of course, um, that kind of also goes into um, what I always say that everyone should have a cash wedge or an emergency fund. So that is a portion of your portfolio that is three to six months of living expenses. So I think your number one priority at this time is to build up that cash wedge. So if COVID were to happen and the government didn't jump in with, um, we didn't have fiscal and monetary policy kicking in, what would people do if they lost their jobs? I think so many people would default on their mortgages, and those scary real things could happen. So, to have that blanket to save you in those downturns is so, so very important. So, I think your number one is to build up that cash wedge. So, cash wedge is something like bonds and lower risk, because that part is the part you want to withdraw in, in downturns. So, um, if you had, say, Thirty percent in bonds, and they fluctuated. They went down about five percent in COVID, whereas you had the rest of your money working for you more—your dividend-paying companies um, and other securities. So, if those went down, say twenty percent, the other was went down ten percent. You'd want to withdraw the money from the portion that went down the least because that is your safety amount. The other part is the generator. Of course, it's more volatile, but it will recover more, and you will probably see more return from that. So when you see that more return, you can replenish your cash wedge and bring that back. I have all of the graphs to explain these if you're
1: interested.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love graphs. It's so exciting stuff, but um, yeah. So I think that the number one thing, which is to be make a an emergency account for now and have some of that be lower risk some of that higher risk if you're willing to see some fluctuation but it just depends on the person
1: right right so how important oh sorry go ahead, how yes. important do you think is goal planning when you're trying to think about saving i think you mentioned it a little bit like having an idea of what that big purchase might be if it's a house or a car like Do you find that a lot of people come in and have no goals and just want to save and make a ton of money and then you have to direct them to that goal-making?
2: Sort of. So for the most part, people have, um, whether they call it a goal or not, they have something that they're striving towards, whether that be a comfortable retirement Um, we just work on defining something like that for them. If it's buying a house or buying a car, making those big financial purchases, it also comes back to the timeline. So if you, if you gave me a million dollars and said, Hey, I want to invest all of this in real estate in four months, I'm going to give you something that is very low risk because I'm not willing to have you lose. 20% 20% or 10% even in that short amount of time that you time frame that you've given me kind of thing. So um goal planning is very very important but people might not see it as their goals. They're just like, "Oh yeah, I'm saving money. This is what's happening." But um it's very nice to identify those things. So say if you have um you have your goals and you want to allocate in 5 years 30% of your money to this and then the rest goes to your retirement, then we would we would choose accordingly with your investment funds.
0: So you would say then that like diversifying your investments is like a smart thing to do then, not just going all in the super safe or the super risky, like having diversified investments is the
2: way to go? Definitely, I, I 100% believe that. What are some signs that you should either hold on or let go? Well, you can kind of look in the um, just in the market fluctuation. So you know how the economy works. And when when people say every eight years there's going going to be somewhat of a recession. So um, looking at that and you see, you know, when the the economy is peaking. You know, when like businesses are starting up, less are closing down, more are opening up. Everything's doing well. The markets are doing well. Um, You might see an indicator. I don't know if you listen to the indicator podcast by NPR, but I'm a huge fan. Uh, So there. (laughs) It's, it's wonderful. Um, but they talk about, and you may have heard in your economics degree, um, the inverted yield curve. So that is an economic indicator. And it actually happened. It's supposed to predict recessions. And for the past, I can't remember exactly how many recessions, but before each one, the yield curve inverted and it did before COVID as well. So you look for these indicators, you look how well the economy is doing, and then you have to take into account what your investments are. So, um, what your investment discipline is. So if you're investing, say for example, a long-term investment, this is something for your retirement. You have chosen companies that you've looked at the price earnings ratio. It's not really inflated. So you bought it at a price where it was kind of lower in, in, regards to its valuation kind of in the market. So, you know, the company is a profitable company, but it's, it's down right now because they expectations in the market. So you bought that company at a really good price and they're making profits. They're doing well. Nothing is fundamentally wrong with that company. It's hard to compete with. It's hard to replicate. It's hard to live without. Those three things are so important in long-term investments because it's hard to compete with those things. So if you have a company like that and you see a recession coming, maybe that may be a time that you wanna switch to something a little bit more safe, maybe a bond or something. But uh, if you're just looking to passively invest and not worry about your personal investments and you've chosen companies like blue chip companies, dividend paying companies, say for example, RBC, um, you can hold on to those during the recession. And when it gets to the very bottom, what do you do? You buy more. So I always, I love this scenario because um, people always panic when it comes to their money. But say, for example, I'm going to ask you about this question. You have a house, you bought it for $500,000. You live in it. It's beautiful. You get so much value from it. You just love the place that you're living in. And all of a sudden the housing market crashes and it goes down to $200,000. What are you going to do with it? My house, yeah, you're going to continue <laughs> to live in it, it's still valuable to you, definitely. Yeah. So now, I'll say, for example, you have five hundred thousand dollars in the market mm-hmm. you know, you own good companies, and it drops down to three hundred thousand, and you're panicking, and you're like, that, that is a big reduction, what right. am I going to do? And then it drops down to two hundred thousand. Now, what are you going to do? Panic. <laughs>
0: well, and you bought it at five originally,
2: yeah buy more
0: and then hope that it goes up and you make yeah. more money.
2: Exactly. So so many people in in that scenario and it's it's wild working in um in finance and seeing people's reactions to that because their logic goes out the window and they keep thinking what if I'm going to lose more? I'm going to lose more. I'm going to lose more and that's what contributes to the market's dropping even further because they're like I better get out now before I lose even more. But what's scary about that is instead of holding on they fundamentally crystallize their loss, and the way that they invest and see investing changes for the rest of their lives. So now, maybe for the rest of their lives, they're very risk adverse. They invest in low, um, low risk things, and they are going to see um, barely any return when they can, when they could have seen a lot of it. So it's so scary in those times when the markets drop. People just want to withdraw their money that contributes to the prices of things falling but they miss out on the huge recovery so this around covid we saw an incredible recovery and um so many people missed out on that because they sold right at the bottom and crystallized their losses so during covid when it was a time of like
1: volatility maybe and people were freaking out was your job significantly harder because all of your clients were just kind of going crazy
2: well it's interesting people definitely panic but it was so cool to think that um in 2008 and 2009 the same thing Mm -hmm. happened and i think um people learned from that Mm -hmm. and they saw that their panic was unwarranted when they came back from that so um i think that's that's something that's so important to note um and to hang on to that and just think like okay It's going to go back. I can relax. This isn't a problem, but um, people, it's, it's your cognitive and emotional biases. You're so scared. Like if you, if you need to withdraw that money and you're about to buy a house with it and you crystallize that loss, that is an issue, but that's why you have a cash wedge. That's why you have the time horizons and you look at those things and you say like, okay, am I going to invest this money in the next Um, five years am I going to hold on to it or am I going to withdraw it so if you were planning on withdrawing that money it would not have seen that much of a drastic change in volatility and you could have withdrawn that safely
0: Mm -hmm. so what would you say then to to people so listen to podcasts try and like educate yourself and understand and like divvy up the time to actually like commit to understanding it which I I totally agree with Um, and then where where would should someone go to like do you recommend someone let's say like a student or like a recent graduate like a young person just trying to like target the people who like listen to the podcast um to go and like hire a wealth manager to try and like download those apps like quest trade or i don't even know some of the other apps that there are out there but there's lots of them like what what is your recommendation of like next steps if they feel like they kind of understand um, some of the jargon, the lingo, and like, I guess a a budget of their financial status.
2: Yeah. So that's a wonderful question. Um, it's people are saying like, okay, how do I manage my money? And I'm like, you don't have to, (laughs) somebody else has, has made a career of that. And until like, if that's a hobby and if that's something that you're very interested in and you want to play around with some money, do that. That's wonderful. Awesome. But if you want to go about your life and not worry about your investments, have somebody else do it. Your bank, your bank can do it for you. Edwin Jones, Sun Life, go see a money manager, figure out, they'll help you set your goals, your plans, um, everything like that. Up until you you are older, they can sit in with your accountants and lawyers and figure out the most tax efficient ways to withdraw money, how you can pass away and pass on your wealth rather than paying not the most into taxes and into the government. So you can set up charitable foundations, have an estate bond. So that ties into life insurance. But there's so many things that your advisor will do for you that you don't have to sit there and have basically a degree in something if you don't want to. So if that's something that's not an interest to you and it stresses you out, by all means, go to your banker go to an advisor, figure those things out because not everybody has to understand everything. Um, That's why you hire other people. I know how to change my car oil. Do I want to spend two hours doing it when they take 10 minutes? No, I'll pay somebody to do that and it is worth it for me to pay them to do that because that's, that's their expertise. They have the equipment to do so and they can do it way faster than I could. So yeah, pay the professional in those cases. Yeah,
0: no, totally. I think that's a really good point. Is that kind of what you do? Like man, like you have clients and you manage it or what? It's your?
2: Yeah, so I, I work in that. I still have so much to learn. I'm working on my designations right now. I meet with clients with other advisors. I ask for help when I need it because the number one priority is obviously the client and figuring out what they need to do. And if my advice isn't cutting it, I always have the, a senior advisor being there. And I'm kind of their shadow right now until I can sign off on those big decisions myself. And I think um, confidence comes with education. So I'm going to go the route of my CFP and see where that takes me. That's so cool. Thank you. Do you
1: find that there's a lot of other women doing the same thing as you or is it very male dominated?
2: It definitely is male dominated. It um it's hard to find a lot of women that do their CFP, especially we're in Kamloops. It's a bit of a smaller town. I'm sure if I went to um to bigger cities, there's more of that, but not many that I know, especially for CFPs in Kamloops. Um, it's it's interesting to be around that, but I found that even in university, and most both of you could maybe speak to this as well. Um, when I chose math based courses I lost my girlfriends (laughs) like where where are you guys (laughs) so um in in that in general I've just kind of dealt with that through university and um yeah it's it's different but it's not surprising
1: yeah I felt that in economics too I was there was way more men than women studying econ But I loved having like female econ profs because they would just hype you up so much and just tell the boys to sit in the back. And I love (laughs) that. And they're usually so articulate too. No, yeah. (laughs) And they're so smart. And they're like, I'm sorry if I got this wrong. I was like up all night helping like the government of this country fix their monetary plan. Like, I'm so sorry. You're like, it's okay. It's totally cool. No, they're so incredible. So what advice would you have for like another young
2: girl looking to get into finance? Um, I would just say, hold on to your curiosity. There's so many things that you can do. And if you just have, I think the biggest part of this job for myself right now is not so much the wealth management side, but it's the financial literacy side. So just caring about those things. I care so much about just like letting my friends know like, okay, here's the difference between these different accounts and this is when you use them and just like holding onto that curiosity and knowing like, okay, I only have X amount of dollars but that's not an only that is something that's very important to me. That's my life right now. And, um, you can, yeah, you can take that so many places. Um, I, I would just say, yeah, continue on the path that you're going. This is something that you're interested in. If you're not interested in it, just know enough to go to the bank or go somewhere to take care of yourself because it's something eventually in your life that you're going to have to take care of. So why not start now? Why not take those baby steps now? And if you understand even 25% now, it's going to help you way more when you're a little bit older and you have to kind of learn everything all at once.
1: That's awesome advice. I find it's so true. Like it's so empowering to learn about your finances because it feels like it should be. It's like a foreign thing that you don't know anything about, and the more you learn, it's like the more empowering it is. And you're not like avoiding it
0: like avoiding it and being like mm, I'm just not gonna look there or go there we're just gonna avoid that but honestly when you you yeah I think that's interesting we uh interviewed a guest and they'll, they'll be coming on the podcast in the next couple episodes about like um wellness and like kind of like self-care but I also feel like when you were saying that I was like you, you said you were like you have to do it for yourself anyways eventually right and so I'm like I feel like understanding your finances and investing in finances in in a way is like a form of like self care and self like awareness um and well-being because it is something that you can't really avoid and why not put yourself in the best position to have like the happiest healthiest lifestyle that you want whether that's
2: you know having a million dollars or not you know what i mean just having that safety net it's so true yes exactly when people say like wellness, what are you trying to do? You're trying to eliminate your anxieties. You're trying to like calm yourself down. So if you find finance to be a point of anxiety, why not try to eliminate it? It's like, it can bring you so much peace of mind. And that's what really finance comes down to. It's, um, it's so, it's so simple to talk about like that but people don't see it like that because it gets to be so stressful, but it is your wellness. It is your mental health, putting your mind at ease saying that you have this part of your life figured out and this part of your life will always exist. So why not, why not tackle it when you can?
0: Yeah. I feel like it's something that's so easy to kind of avoid and brush under the rug, but especially when you're, it is like a very intimidating thing. Like you said, like initially up front and often a lot of people have so many other things going on in their lives that they're like, I just don't have time to think about that right now. I'm just doing the bare minimum, trying to save and live my life. But I do have to say, like, after talking to you, like, it does. Just, like, talking to someone about it who understands and isn't, like, scary about it. Yeah, passionate. But also isn't just, you don't do it in an aggressive way where it's like, here are all of the terms that you know nothing about because I'm so smart. And, uh, like, give me your money, I'll invest it. Like, it's... I feel like more like, okay, like, I feel like when you talk to someone about it, you can understand it enough where you could feel comfortable and safe being like, okay, here's my money. Here's a plan. Let's do it together.
2: Yeah, definitely. And it's so attainable. If you just have a small amount of money that you want to start putting away, you will be so surprised the difference between your book value and your market value. So what you've invested. And then if you look at it five years down the road and haven't touched it, you will be impressed and you'll be so proud of yourself because um, one piece of advice my dad told me when I was a kid, he said, um, make your money work for you and buy things that pay you. And I'm like, buy things that pay me. And I'm holding my like Polly pocket purse. I'm like, What are you talking about? So um, in that sense, I was like, what do you mean by that? But maybe invest in real estate, have your tenants pay your mortgage, invest in dividend paying companies and in the markets and have that money generate more for you. And I think that um, it's so lost on people because they think it's, the markets are a gamble, but Unless you're a day trader and investing in very volatile things, it is not a gamble. It's money working for you. So you don't have to work as hard. You work harder, you're smarter.
0: Yeah, I love that. I've heard that that saying before. It's a good one. Like, and it's very, Mm -hmm. yeah, I love that. So now when all the drunk people come up to you, you Taylor, you can just tell them to listen to this podcast yeah. episode as the answer to if yeah. you have a million dollars, what do we do with it? Just tell a them little to... little plug. That'd yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just be like, um, this is my spiel, actually. This mm-hmm. is what... This is my answer to that. Is there anything else, though, that you feel like you really wanted to talk about that we didn't touch on, that you wanted to share and, and get across?
2: Um, Not necessarily. I think I'd just like to kind of recap and sum up the most important things to me are create a emergency fund so that years down the road our economy as like young people moving into the workforce have a safety net because generations in the past have not had that and it doesn't look like our savings rates are as high as they were before and they're not as high as they should be Um, that safety net and that security blanket will take you a long way And start investing young and early. Understand the differences between a few things. Um, One thing that I might like to touch on because people ask me about this all the time they say, okay, when do I invest in my RSP compared to my TFSA? And so, your RSP, just to break it down a little bit more simple, is your registered retirement savings plan. And your TFSA is your tax free savings account. So, With those, the RSP is something that if you put money into it, it takes off of your annual income and you are deferring your taxes to a later date. Because when you withdraw that money, you will be taxed on it. But right now, say you're making $100,000 a year and you put $20,000 into your RSP, it will bump you into a lower tax bracket for now. So you're paying less taxes on it on your income, you're not paying taxes on the portion that portion that you contributed. And now your, your eighties roll around and you withdraw that money. So you're withdrawing that say you're taking $60,000 a year in income, you're withdrawing that at a much lower tax bracket. So an RSP is in place to defer your taxes until your retirement and encourage your savings. So when to contribute to your RSP is, um, I always say after you've maxed out your TFSA, because that is tax-free, or if you want to bump yourself into a lower tax bracket, or if you have an employer that will match your contributions, because we don't say no to free money. So <laughs> that, that is very important. And then your tax-free savings account, you don't um, get those credits on your income when you contribute to your TFSA, but you can keep your money in there. You, you are not taxed on withdrawals at all and you're not taxed on the interest that you earn. So I would recommend maxing that out. There's a contribution limit each year. This year was 6,000, last year was 6,000. They adjust it with inflation and those kind of things. But um, max that out unless you need to bump yourself into a lower tax bracket or you have RSP matching. But, um, and then you can start worrying about your RSP after that
0: thank you oh, that yeah that's so helpful mm-hmm. and educational for so many people and no, myself I needed
2: included to know that one. i needed to be
1: reminded yeah. of that one for sure so we have two questions that we ask all of our guests to wrap up so we can kind of add to our like social medias and stuff it's kind of fun um so i'll let ken ask the first As question we ask all of our guests to plug a local business and
0: you're from kamloops so preferably something from kamloops um, that just deserves some recognition and love and a
2: shout out that people can go and support Oh my goodness. Okay. So, um, I going to negotiate here with you guys because I can't just say one. Okay. Um, yep. This is so difficult. I, if you know me, you know that I care about local economic development far too much. Um, I would say friendly composting. Um, Claire is a friend of mine. If you've heard of them, if you haven't heard of them, go check them out on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, and. So they do a composting pickup service, but they also deliver all local groceries. They are completely amazing. And I will say BC's Best Dog Food. So they make um, raw dog food, but it's all organic, local. Um, and just for that niche of people who really enjoy those things and their, their little furry friends. Um, and I have to say a couple of restaurants. freaking Factalos. Yeah. I have to that Yeah. <laughs> <up. laughs> Worked there for a few years, so um, and and I love Gin Lane Co. So they're the branch of Red Collar that does gin drinks now, and they are for the oh my goodness, you have to check them out. They're amazing. They do flights of different cocktails. Ooh. They have gin drinks on tap.
0: Yeah. Now I'll be the drunk person asking investment questions because I like gin, not beer. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: there we go. Oh, you'll catch me on the patio. That's
1: so funny. Our second wrap up question is one that has been pretty fun because we add to our Spotify playlist called the Boss Chick Project Anthems. And we would like to know what your Boss Chick Anthem is a song that you just need to listen to to hype yourself up before you're about to see a client and make them tons of money.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I think that one that I think girls and guys can relate to, and I don't know why, is um, I Feel Like a Woman by Shania Twain. Why hasn't anyone said that yet? That's the best. I know.
1: That's the best. Yeah. So good.
0: I was going to say, Cass and I went to a Shania Twain concert, (laughs) like four or five years or like five years ago in high school and then I went to it another year and both times I got to like high five Shania Twain she came through the audience both times
2: so I have a huge fan <laughs> oh my gosh this. she's the best Shania. and yeah if you ever go to like a karaoke bar or anything somebody so sings that true. song girls and guys alike oh it's an anthem for the whole That's bar so, so good oh, I love choice.
1: that song best choice ever I'm putting that at like the top of the playlist now
2: <laughs> my heart. I'm so glad, my girl Shania. Right here. Yeah, she
1: would love I'll, this episode. Love I'll
2: I'll at her. Yeah, she we'll would. we'll damn t- it to her.
1: her. Like, he
0: we'll damn the episode. <laughs> Honestly, she probably... she's an angel. Knowing <laughs> Shania Dwayne, not like I know Shania Dwayne, no. but like, I mean, I did hug her, get a selfie with her, and she retweeted me twice. So, I mean, we. I'm not but... saying we're like super close but she wow oh my gosh
2: that is amazing yep she was my first concert that I went to and one fun fact about her that relates to finance she has never bought a brand new car she's only bought used cars really good for her she's so smart yeah and she can also pay if they break down so she doesn't need warranty well,
0: so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it and for sharing your
2: knowledge
1: with the thank listeners. Thank you
2: so much for having me. It was a wonderful experience being on my first podcast. Thank you so much. I needed that so badly. I have
1: no idea. I've been maybe sort of avoiding looking at my bank statements, and that changes today. You're like, I believe in astrology, but not the stock market. Totally. Absolutely. You're completely right. Like I didn't believe in it. Like I've just heard so many things about its failing. (laughs) One can only be real. Astrology or the stock market both cannot coexist. (laughs) One's made up. (laughs) Pick one. (laughs) No, I know. But like I found like it's so interesting that she's done economics. So I found like her explaining things in terms that are more common in like economic study made it so much more understandable to me.
0: Mm -hmm, mm
1: mm-hmm and her talking about diversifying your investments
0: i think is like really important so like if you're someone who's invested from what i'm getting from what she said in you know dividend paying companies and some bonds um maybe some like crypto or some like real estate you know what's like probably like an untapped market podcasts podcast. I actually heard about this new company. <clears throat> it's not like an actual company, but a startup oh, oh. Um, hmm, called The Bostick Project, and I think that True. that's a good
1: investment. I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That actually rings a bell to me. I've, I've actually heard it's the best podcast out of this like local town called Kamloops. Maybe the only one in Kamloops, but like, it's the best. It's making waves. Mm-hmm. Everyone's listening to it. Everyone's talking about it. I walk down the street and people are like, oh, like Boss your project, you should listen. So it's really taking over. It's a niche market. There's not a lot going on, but low risk, she said. Low risk, low reward. Also,
2: but low risk, (laughs) high reward.
0: High reward, reward,
1: (laughs) reward. Well,
0: we have to make money before we can like pay them out money. So like, but you know, high reward, long term.
1: No, you. it's good to be one of the first investors, you know? Like, we're a startup. It's good to be one of the first. You could you could probably get a board position if you wanted. Yeah, it's like, do you invest in your RRSP or the BCP?
0: Like, which one do you invest in? I don't <laughs> know. I don't know. Which one's <laughs> going to be there for you at retirement? Probably the BCP. But Yeah, we'll talk to you. We'll be there in your ear. It'll be worth all the money.
1: No, exactly. Can your money make you a meal no, can your I mean, mod- money cuddle you at night? Auditorily?
2: Probably not. We can. <laughs>
1: ASMR
2: every day.
0: But you heard it here first. Like, download, subscribe, leave a review so that we can get our BCP charts up and <laughs> the investments and the incline
1: up. Yeah, we want our like downloads rates to look like a non-volatile market graph.
0: Ooh, someone learned something today.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it did.
0: Yeah, she did. I took that. All right, that is it for us this week. Thank you to Taylor uh, from Abbott Wealth Management. Thank you to Cassandra for asking amazing questions today.
1: And thank you to Kennedy for just, like, leading us through this interview and getting all the good deets from her.
0: We love people who support other women. Women empowering other women. Let's go. All right. Let's go. That is it for us this week. The bosses are out.
2: The office is closed. And we will see you in two weeks. (laughs)